Well, good morning. I'm thankful that you're here. I've got my tea with me this morning because I may need it. Um, I've uh, kind of been alone under the weather the last few days, but, but I love this church. I love that it's one degrees outside. That's what temperature it was when I got here this morning, one degree on my truck. And I, uh, but aren't you grateful for heaters? Isn't that awesome? And, um, and, and, you know, it was so cool today because on a day that I get, really the roads aren't bad, but, um, you know, you have a, um, you see the Lord at work. Today in our first service, we had two, ba- two people baptized in our first service. And, and, and I love it that, that God is at work. And, and, uh, and, and you can't stop the, the movement of God. Cold doesn't stop him. You know, challenges don't stop him. The, the Lord is at work in our church, in our community, in our lives. The Lord is at work today. God has something to say to all of us today, and whether you're, you couldn't get out and you're watching online or whether those of you that, that brave the one-degree temperature, uh, it's probably warmer now. It's, what, seven now? Uh, so, man, great job. Thanks for being here, and we're so grateful. You know, um, uh, over the last several weeks, we've been, we've been working to unwrap the significance of Jesus and, and unwrap this present that God has given us. And, and, and it's important that we understand who Jesus really is. This, even this week, uh, I saw on Jimmy Kimmel, I don't watch it that much, but, but they did this uh, deal on the streets of interviewed kids about Christmas. I don't know if you saw it. And they asked this little kid, like, who was born at Christmas? And he said, my, my friend Jack was born, you know, and, and all these kids have these answers about uh, what is the manger, who was in the manger, and they got it all wrong, and people laughed. And, and, and you know, um, though that was cute, it's, it's a reality that is not just uh, something that, is, um, that, that children make mistakes with. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in our world that don't understand the significance of Christmas. A lot of people see Jesus as, oh, he's just, uh, he's just a good teacher, Jesus was, um, was, a, was an influential man. Uh, some people see Jesus as he was a rebel and, and he, he rebelled against those authorities. Some people see Jesus as a hoax. Some people see Jesus as just one of the choices in the pursuit or the path to heaven. And they, they, pick, they put Jesus in the group of, of people like Muhammad or, or Gandhi or these religious leaders or, or, Christ, or, or God-like thinkers. Because we live in a world that really gets this wrong. They think there are many paths to heaven. And, 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 and the fact is it's important for us to really understand what the Bible reveals about God. And we need to understand the significance of this gift in Jesus. And, and, and you know, um, I pray that we can unwrap this. And, and, and you know, the truth is we're, we're going we're gonna to unpack this important biblical doctrine. Now, now, a lot of times when you hear the word doctrine, uh, and we've said this for the last couple of weeks, that, that people immediately just kind of check out and think, oh, doctrine is stiff or, or stuffy or something that I can't understand or, or oh, th- th- that's not for me. But, but it's important that we understand what the, the, the biblical doctrines laid out in Scripture. You, you know, doctrine is important. What you believe is important. What you believe about God, what our church teaches, what our church believes is important. And it's important that we have, are, are founded in a strong biblical doctrine. 
you know, uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, uh, this theological challenge today, this theological issue. And, and when the word theology is mentioned, sometimes people check out and think, oh, well, that's too heady to me, for me. I can't think about theology. But the truth is every one of us are theologians. Uh, theology simply means the study of God. And, and, and all of us have thoughts about God, and we, and we think about purposes, our purpose in life, or ultimate things. And, 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 and the question for us is not, are we theologians? But the question is, is our theology in line with Scripture? And that's what we have to discern, and that's what we have to understand. And it's important that you, um, that you have an accurate biblical theology. And that's who we are. We understand the Word of God as authoritative. God's Word is an authority in our lives. We submit to His Word, and we, and we recognize this as God's revelation of Himself to mankind. And so it's important for us to unwrap this and, and to look at this biblically and to understand what does the Bible say about the person of Christ? And we're recognizing this as the most incredible gift that's ever been given. It's the reason we give gifts at Christmas. And you know, as Robin and I as parents, we had to teach our kids this, you know, Years ago, we gave our kids a gift that they couldn't stop talking about. We surprised them with a trip to Disney World. And it was in 2007, so they were younger. And, and, and they had no clue that we had packed, we'd packed our car. Like, I mean, there was not a space in the car. We were driving all the way to Florida and didn't tell them that's where we were going. And they had no clue that, wow, we sure are packing a lot for Arkansas. And, uh, and they didn't have a clue. And so we get to Arkansas, and we're sitting around the breakfast table, and we tell them we're going to Disney World and they were couldn't believe it well that Christmas that was in October and Christmas they found a Disney catalog and they they put what they wanted for Christmas they all three got together and and marked everything they wanted for Christmas and handed that to Robin and I and and it was like $13,000 worth of Disney stuff and we're like oh great thanks that's cute no no we're not getting you any of that um but we we recognized as parents we needed to help them understand the reason for the gifts it's this one gift that came in the person of jesus now this morning i want you if you have your bibles turn to colossians chapter one now before we get into our text today let's understand the book of colossians colossians was a letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae. And, and the, the, that's, it's one of the pastoral letters. And, and anytime you see the, the Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, those were written to churches in those areas. Now, the church at Colossae was facing some struggles. They, they were facing some, uh, some false teachings. And, and if you want to understand the whole reason for Paul writing the book of Colossians, it's found in Colossians 2 verse 8, which Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elementary mental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul was writing this entire letter by saying to the church at Colossians, look, there's some false teaching out there. There's some misunderstanding about Christ, and it's important that you don't follow those false teachings. It's important that you don't just follow the philosophies of the world, but you recognize Christ. Now for us, that's where we are. 
because we live in a world that right before our eyes, it's changing. We live in this uh, society that's growing more and more pluralistic that will look to us and look at us and say, look, there are many ways to God. There's lots of ways to God. You can, you can get to God by these different religious leaders, but that's not what the Bible reveals. The Bible reveals that there's only one way to heaven, and this gift of Jesus that came, that Jesus really is, like John 14, 6 says, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And, and the path to heaven is a narrow path, and it's only found in Christ. But look at the world we live in. We live in a world that is growing more and more. Um, there's more and more pressure to, to go, look, you can't be exclusive. But for us as, a, as believers, as followers of Christ, we've got to understand the significance of this gift. And the Bible reveals the significance of the presence of Jesus. Now, it's found in this biblical doctrine. And if you have your notes, I want you to follow along with this. We've been in this for three weeks now. And I would encourage you to look back at the last two sermons. It's online. But it's founded in this biblical doctrine of the person of Christ that's described like this. When Jesus came into the world, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Now, that's what we've been unwrapping. The fact that Jesus, this, this baby that was born in a manger, as he came into the world, this is the only person who ever existed that at the same time he was fully human. He was fully man. But at the same time, he was fully God. And we know about Jesus, the, the significance of him. He, he didn't have an earthly father. He's the only child ever born who had the right to be called holy because he, 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 had no, he did not inherit sin from his fatherly line. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And, and Mary, was, Jesus was this incredible combination of humanity and divinity, and it was existing in one person at the same time. Now, that's something we need to understand. Now, Paul writes to the Colossian church, and he's trying to unveil and explain the significance of Christ, the preeminence of Christ. So, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15, and, and I want you to stand with me, and let's recognize, and let's pay attention to this incredible fact that Jesus, in human body, in his human body, was God and was man all at the same time. Look at what Paul says about him. Verse 15, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, stay here. And I want us to unpack this for the next few minutes and, and, and recognize the significance of this passage. This is one of the most incredible passages in all of Scripture. Look at verse 15. It says, for he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, now from the very beginning of mankind, God instilled in man a God-shaped void. Every man from the beginning has sought to know the creator. We've sought after God. All of us understand, look, there's got to be more than living and dying. There's got to be more than this physical world. There's got to be a creator of all that we see. I mean, I got out of my truck this morning, and I was like, thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning because I'm awake as I walked into that one-degree, 15-mile-an-hour wind that hit me in the face. And I walked up here and I was like, Lord, it's so interesting. The seasons are so interesting to me, how they they just change and it's so amazing. None of that, that didn't just happen by accident. There is a designer, a creator. And from the beginning of, of time, mankind has sought to know God and know this creator. And look at what the Bible says about Jesus, verse 15. Jesus is the image of God. That, that, that the reason that we need to unpack and unwrap this present is because if you really want to see God, if you want to see what he's like, look to Jesus. Because he in himself is the image of God. He, Christ is the image of the invisible. He is the one that, that we, we can see our creator, our king, our Lord. And this is why that, that Jesus cannot just be one of the ways to heaven. And this is why we've got to resist that temptation to fall in line with culture and, and do what our world is telling us to do, to update our beliefs, to get in step with the times. No, we recognize that Jesus is not just a way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. And we've got to see that. He's the image of the invisible God. And, 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 this, and it says, the firstborn of all creation. And this is why we look at the scriptures, and from the very beginning of time, the prophets revealed that this Jesus was going to come, and he was going to be born. And we see in Isaiah chapter, six, chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this is why we can, we've got to recognize the gift of Jesus is God entering human history, God himself coming in human form. And it's miraculous that Jesus, he, in this bodily form, at the same time he was fully human, he was fully God. Now, point number one today I want you to see is that Jesus came as a miracle. 
I mean, when Jesus entered human history, it was a miracle. And I'm not just talking about the virgin birth, though that was most definitely a miracle. That is outside of human understanding. It's outside of science. Science looks at us and says, you can't explain that, and you're exactly right, because it took a miracle to, for, for the Holy Spirit to conceive in Mary's womb and Jesus to be born. But I want you to know it's, it's just as miraculous that in the human body, this Jesus, who Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, that this Jesus, while he was fully human, he is also fully God. But it's the reason why, these, as, as, a, as a 12-year-old boy, we know this about Jesus, that when he taught in the temple, these, these religious leaders were like, who are you? Who is this kid? How... How does he know this stuff? Because he was fully man and fully God. This is why people looked at, looked at Jesus' life and said, how do you do what you do? No one can do this except they're from God, and Jesus is the human embodiment of God himself. That Jesus, as he lived, is fully man, but at the same time, he's fully God. That's miraculous. There's a guy named Wayne Grudem who I would encourage you to to buy his book called Systematic Theology, which is, you could lift weights with it if you, if you don't want to read it because it's really thick. But I would encourage you to get that book as you learn to study God and as you learn to grow in your faith so you can wrestle with some of these ideas. But, but Gwen Grudem writes this, and I've got this on the screen. I want you to see it. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and most profound mystery in all the universe. This is why we as, as, a, as a people that worship the Lord, that follow the scriptures, we, we cannot see Jesus as just one of the ways to heaven. No, he's the only way to heaven because he's the only one that was fully man and fully God. It's a miracle. Now look at verse uh, 17. I want you to see this. Paul writes that he, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I want you to think about this. Paul writes about Jesus. He's like, look, he's the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of God. But l- let me tell you what else he is. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Have you ever felt like your life's out of control? Have you ever gotten that phone call that you recognize that you are not in control? You know, we live in a world that tells us, trying to convince us, hey, you're in control of your own destiny. Folks, none of us are in control. We're not in control of anything. But look at what it says about Jesus. You ought to memorize this first, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. That Jesus has the power to hold everything together in your life. This, this, is why, this is why we are without apology. Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. Jesus, we submit to you. We follow you, and that's who we are. We don't see just Jesus in the manger and say, oh, well, cute little baby that has nothing that doesn't have an impact in my life. No, that's not who we are. We are a people that say, Jesus, you are Lord of us. We submit to you. 
We follow you. You know, that's why in 1 Peter 3.15, we say, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. We are those that see Jesus as Lord of our lives, as Lord of all, because what does he do? He holds everything together for us. He holds my life together. He rescues me. It's so amazing. Um, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's why we seek the Lord. And every week we come and gather around the word of God, seeking the Lord in our lives, seeking to follow him, seeking to walk with him, seeking to know him. Jesus is not just a way to heaven. We've got to unwrap this and understand the significance of Jesus when he came to earth. We put Christ first. We allow him to move us. And, and what he does, he holds our lives together. He, he, he doesn't, we don't crumble under pressure. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't uh, fall apart when tough times come. He holds us together. And, and I, that's what I want you to know about Christ, that when you, when you walk with him, when you follow him, he'll lift your head, and I see it all the time. I see folks in our church that, that go through some of the most difficult of circumstances, and God answers their prayer and holds them together. And if you're searching in your life, if you're, if you're floundering in your life, recognize that Jesus will hold everything together for you. He will help you. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And this is why at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught, and he taught with, with this power and authority, and people were amazed at him, that, 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 that he, when he said at the end in Matthew chapter 7, he says, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the winds came and beat against that house, but it did not fall. But if you hear these words of mine and you do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built this house on the sand. The rains came, the winds blew, and it beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And I want you to know, apart from Christ, your life will, will fall apart. But with Christ, following him, surrendering to him, trusting in him, he holds us together. This is why we are a people that say, Jesus, you are our Lord. And Jesus in the manger, when Jesus entered human history, it was our Lord coming, and that's a miracle. And I don't want us to miss that. Look at verse, look at verse 18. It says this, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might pre be preeminent. Jesus not only came as a miracle, I want you to see this, Jesus came as our authority. Point number two today, Jesus came as our authority. And, and, and so this baby in a manger, to unwrap this, we've got to recognize he's our authority. He's our Lord. Right there, he's the head of the body, the church. You know, you know that, that I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful to, to be one of your pastors here and to be the one that gets to preach a lot on most of the time on Sunday mornings. They get to be the senior pastor here. But you know that I'm not the head of this church. You know who the head of this church is? It's Christ. I'm an under-shepherd, and, and we have multiple pastors here that are under-shepherds that we are to submit to Christ, and, and that's who we are. That's the significance of this gift, that when Jesus came, he's our, he came as our authority. And we've got to see this, and, and, and all through Scripture, we see he's the head of the church. 
He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And this is why we are a people that say, Jesus, you are not just a way, you're the way. You are Lord of all. And we submit to you. We listen to your voice. We allow you to move us. We allow you to shape us. We, we, it moves us to get up on a, on a one degree morning and say, nothing will keep us from going to worship. It calls us that on Christmas Day, when we are going to have worship, even though it's on a Sunday, or Christmas Day is on a Sunday, we're coming together to worship and celebrate the fact that Jesus, you are Lord of all. Folks, Jesus is our authority, and don't f- buy into this lie, this popular philosophy that oh, Jesus is just one of the ways to heaven. He's the only way, and this is something that, that can't stay silent from our lips, from our lives. And, and we see this, that we see the authority of Christ. And it's so fascinating as, as Jesus lived fully God and fully man at the same time, we see the omni-characteristics of God. Now, do you know what the omni-doctrines are? The omni means uh, supreme or, or, or all or, or ultimate or, or all. Like, for instance, we, we understand God to be all-powerful. We understand God to be all-knowing. We understand God to be um, everywhere at every time, omniscient. And do you know when Jesus lived in human form, we see those characteristics laid out? For example, Jesus as the God-man God and man shows his omnipotence. Omnipotence means he's all-powerful. And Jesus, he, he exemplified this when he walked the earth. Remember in, um, in Matthew chapter 14, this is actually a miracle that's recorded in every gospel. And remember this moment in the life of Christ in Matthew 14 tells about it, that, that he was teaching and people were coming to hear him and they said, Jesus, wow, you teach with authority. And, and, and thousands of people came to hear him teach on this hillside. And the disciples said, Jesus, we really need to feed these people, but we only have a few fish and a few loaves of bread. What did Jesus do? He blessed them. He prayed over them. And they fed thousands of people. Some estimate that was, the count was 5,000. It was 5,000 men, but they also had their women and children. And you see in the life of Jesus, his, omni, uh, his omnipotence as he powerfully overcomes nature. And he does something miraculous. Jesus as this God-man showed his omnipotence. Jesus as the God-man, do you know what he, he, uh, he also revealed his omniscience. And I want you to see this, that, that when Jesus was in the flesh, this God-man shows omniscience. Omniscience basically is this idea that Jesus is all-knowing. He knows everything. And this is why we come to church and we say, Jesus, we're honest about our sin. We're honest about our lives. We're not going to hide anything. We can't hide anything from God. He's all-knowing. When Jesus walked the earth, he exemplified this because uh, it was like the time when um, in in John chapter 1, 48 and 49, Jesus uh, comes across Nathaniel. Do you know Nathaniel? He's one of the disciples. and, and, And Nathaniel was under this tree and he was talking to God. He was by himself. And he was just praying to God about, speak to me, show me. Verse 48 in John chapter 1, I've got it on the screen. Nathaniel said, how do you know me, Jesus answered. Before Philip, I called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel knew I was by myself. But Jesus said, I saw you. Jesus exemplified his omniscience because he knew what people were thinking. 
You know what Nathaniel said after that? He goes, you're my, you're my God and king. You know what Jesus said? He said, Nathaniel, because you've, you believe after just what I've told you, because I saw you, you're going to see so much greater things than these. You know, that's the, that's the joy of following Jesus. When you follow him, you see incredible things. You watch God do supernatural things. Jesus, as this God-man, showed his omniscience. Third thing I want you to see under his, his authority that Jesus, as the God-man, do you know that he spoke about his omnipresence? Omnipresence means that Jesus is, that God is everywhere at every time. Now, that blows our mind, that God can be everywhere all at once. That, that as we come and worship him in Owasso, Oklahoma, and that, that all over the world people are praying and, and God is responding and is everywhere. And even though, like Philippians 2 says, that Jesus limited himself, God limited himself when he became a man, we see these glimpses of his, of his omnipresence. In Matthew 18 is one of those instances. That, that's when Jesus is talking about um, Dealing with conflict. Matthew 18 is this incredible plan of if you have conflict with somebody, how do you respond? And, and Jesus breaks that down, but he says in Matthew 18, verse 20, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And Jesus taught us that, look, he's everywhere, and he's right here. He is speaking to us, and, and I love it that Jesus is not just one of the ways to heaven. He's God in the flesh. And let's understand that. Let's recognize how the Bible reveals that. Don't miss Jesus is our authority. Last thing, I want you to see this. Jesus not only came as a miracle, he not only came as our authority, but Jesus came as our only hope. And the reason that we cannot be silent about who Jesus is and what he's done, because Jesus came as the only hope we have. Jesus in the flesh this God-man, do you know what he modeled? Jesus modeled his sovereignty. Jesus as the God-man, as he walked the earth, you see his sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is this, is this idea that he's all-powerful. You know, Jesus has this conflict, conflict in Mark chapter 7, or excuse me, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, Jesus has this conflict with these, these Pharisees, and, and he had healed this man. And, and, and these guys were like, I can't, I, can't believe you, I can't believe you said this, Jesus, as he healed this man that was lame. These guys totally missed the miracle because Jesus said to him before he healed him, before he said, take up your mat and walk, you know what Jesus said to him? He said, son, your sins are forgiven in Mark chapter 2. And it's verse 5, it says this, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there questioned in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I want you to know, Jesus, as this God-man, this entered human history, he is sovereign. He is the only one with the power to forgive sin. You know, I love my children. I love them, and I would do anything for my children. I would do all I could for my children. But do you know what I cannot do for my children? I cannot take away their sin. Jesus has the power to do that. 
Jesus as this God-man shows his sovereignty. Jesus as the God-man, you know what else he did? He pointed to his immortality. He's our only hope. He points to this immortality. And, and, and I, I love this, this example in, in John chapter 2. Jesus is, is standing there and he's, and he's in this conflict with these Pharisees again. And in John chapter 2, Jesus answered them, verse, verse 19. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But Jesus, it says, but, but he was speaking of the temple about the temple of his body. And look at what it says in verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And I want you to recognize that Jesus, when he came into human history, the significance of this gift is Jesus modeled for us that death's not the end, that that. He gives us this eternal life. So if you ever get that phone call that you have cancer and it's terminal, that, that you, maybe you will be blessed with that reality that, that you will know your time is drawing near. Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus, this gift of Christmas is significant because Jesus points to immortality, that death's not the end. And, and, and I want you to see what, what Paul writes. Look at verse 19 in Colossians chapter 1. Catch this. And I've asked Carl if you could put that up on the screen behind me. Paul writes, Jesus as our only hope, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Look at that. It pleased God to come to earth. Now, folks, to me, that blows my mind. There, there's going to be a day that I draw my last breath, and I'm going to be standing in front of God, and I will see holiness and glory for the first time. And I'm telling you, that's going to be a day that I see holiness for the first time. And I think I'm just going to be like, whoa. Jesus, you left. Holy God came here. Entered human history. And look what it says. Paul says that, that he was pleased to dwell. That it pleased him to come here. I hope we can wrap our minds around that. Verse 20, and look at this. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, that God made us right, that God reconciled us. We were, we were rebellious, we were apart, and God made us right. We can't get right on our own. The significance of Jesus entering human history was that he came to make us right. Look at this. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That, 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 like Isaiah said, that, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And see, the reason that Jesus is not just one of the ways to heaven, he is the only one that can give us peace. He's the only one that can give you peace because of what he did on the cross. Verse 21, look at this. And you 
who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and that's me. Gosh, there was a time that I was hostile to God, that I was going my own way, that I was like, Lord, I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to rebel against you. I was hostile to God. But, But look at this. I was doing evil deeds. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, that, that the, the body of Christ, this God-man at the same time, this miraculous human being that was, that was different from us and that was like us. Look at this. He reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And that has changed my life. The fact that God could look at me and say, Chris, you are blameless. You are above reproach because I know me. I, I've, I've been there in those moments that if you were there with me, you would go, that's my pastor? Are you kidding me? And Jesus has made me right. And I get up and preach not because I am good in and of myself. No, I'm a person that Jesus is putting together and has made me, he's forgiven me. Oh, that's, that's us. And then he, he lets me go before him above reproach. I can, I can go before the Lord because of Jesus. Verse 23, and then Paul writes, and I love this, if indeed you continue in the faith, that, that, that he's compelled. You see in Paul this, this compelling heart that, that, that we've got to continue in the faith. We've got to grow. We've got to look at this, be stable and steadfast, that, that we've got to be consistent. We've got to, we've got to not, not, not follow what our culture says. No, we're stable. We, we are, we're not going to be shifting and, and changing our beliefs. No, we are a people that say, God, we will trust your word and we will follow it to the letter. We're not, we're stable. We're steadfast. I mean, I love that, I love that word, steadfast. I mean, steadfast is this like, I'm not moving, I'm not backing down. I'm not going to back up. And in a culture that we live in that doesn't understand who Jesus really is, that we are a people that say, no, we are steadfast, we are stable. And look at this, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. We're not going to shift from this hope. And I loved it on a, I love it on a snowy day when on, on the news there's church closings around us. We see baptisms and we see lives changed and God is speaking and God is moving us. We're not going to shift and look at this, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And from the beginning of time, the, 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 the message of Christ has been proclaimed. And look at, I love this, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And, and see, that's, that's who we are. That we get to be ministers of this gospel and proclaimers of this truth that this is who Jesus is. 
And this is why as a people, we, are, we must do things like the mission that we're building over on Garnett, that, that we're going we're gonna to build a, a, a place that, that we're going to take this to the next level as we minister to a community right here in this place. And we're going to build this, and it's going to make an incredible difference in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see people saved as we serve them, as we meet needs of a community. This is why as a church, as we're praying about joining with Calvary Baptist Church in Tulsa, folks, we must do this as God expands our influence and expands our footprint because we live in a world that is moving further and further away from the gospel and we've got to go passionately into that battle and proclaim and expand the message of Christ. Paul says, I'm a minister and we're going to vote on this in January and I believe God's calling us to expand our vision, expand our footprint. And, and what's cool is right simultaneously, God is calling us to expand in both directions from our church. Because we're ministers of the gospel. And Paul writes, I'm a minister called to do this. Folks, Jesus is not just a man. He's not just one way to heaven. Folks, he's the only way to heaven. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. And this is why today, on a six degree day, we're getting ready to have an invitation. And in this invitation, Chad's going to come out and he's going to lead us in this song called Majesty. And with all we can on a cold day, we're going to say, Lord, nothing's going to stop us from standing and proclaiming your majesty. You are the Savior who entered human history. You are this miraculous God, man, at the same time. You are the only one worthy to take away our sin. You're the only one powerful enough to rescue us from the pit that we are in. And you're the only hope that the world needs that we've got to proclaim with passion and boldness. So this is why Jesus is our Lord and why Jesus is our Savior. And this is why we pray that we proclaim the gospel to those we work with, those we serve, those we live around, those we play with. We are people of this, of the truth, and we are people that submit to Christ and see him as a miracle, see him as our authority and recognize him as our only hope. If you need Jesus today, come to him. Oh, come to Jesus today. If you've been complacent, like the song we sang earlier, awake my soul, Lord. Awake my soul. I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you are. Lord Jesus, we proclaim...